Buenos dias, familia. So good to be here with you today. Um, my name is Josue, for those of you that do not know me. And uh, I have the privilege of serving here at the Grove as one of the elders. And uh, today, obviously, I have the, the uh, distinct honor to uh, preach God's word uh, as we end uh, the Sermon on the Mount's introduction on the Beatitudes. And so if you've been with us any Sunday this summer, you know that we've navigated what is known as the Beatitudes, um, where God speaks blessings to his disciples, to his people. And he shows us what kingdom life is like. He shows us what, more specifically, the character of kingdom citizens is like. And so we've journeyed through these Beatitudes that have shown us um, what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom, what it means for us to value the things our king values. And today we end on the final beatitude, and it's the only beatitude that Jesus, Jesus actually expands upon a little bit. And so we're going to get to discover some things today that uh, maybe like me, as you hear the word persecution, you, you immediately think of our brothers and sisters that are across the world who are literally daily being persecuted for their lives because of their faith in Christ. And maybe you think about the reality across the world that people are having to meet in church secretly because the government will persecute them through trials and up to death. And you and I have the freedom to meet here this morning, and so it might almost seem like we come to this text and feel like uh, maybe we don't really know persecution quite like that. But on the flip side, maybe we do know a little persecution. And I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning that I think will help us kind of understand what Jesus means is persecution here. Um, <clears throat> and I almost prayed, uh, not almost, I prayed this week asking God to help us understand how this applies to you and to me contextually, specifically in this time here in the Western world. And I believe God has shown me and shown, is going to show us today really how this applies. You see, we have two groups of Beatitudes. The first group of Beatitudes um, is divided up um, into this emptiness that we have inside of us. And it culminates in verse 6 where it says, Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You see, we started off seeing that kingdom citizens understand their great need for Jesus, understand their great need for this king, and they're poor in spirit and come before God and can say, I have nothing to bring. I need everything from this great king. These same citizens are those who mourn, more specifically mourn over their sin that separates them from this great king. And these men and women who are citizens of the kingdom are also meek, not weak, but meek, men and women who have willfully submitted themselves to the guidance of God. And when we have emptied ourselves out, we hunger and thirst for righteousness in this first set of Beatitudes. And Jesus says that you will be satisfied if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we moved on to the second set of Beatitudes that is now more out of this satisfaction that we receive out of our hunger and thirst. And we see that you and I are men and women who are pure in heart. We are men and women who are merciful. And last week we heard we are men and women who are peacemakers. Out of the abundance that we receive of God's righteousness, we get to do all that, all those things here on earth. And if we follow all these Beatitudes and we do all these things, God's going to bless you and prosper you and give you all the things that you want here on earth. 
That's not what this verse says. He says, and if you've lived out this in your life while you're here on earth, he says, final blessing, you will be persecuted. That's hard to swallow in a culture that we work hard and we want reward for our hard work. We work hard and we don't want to see suffering. In fact, we work hard to avoid suffering. And Jesus says, um, you're blessed, actually, to be persecuted. So Jesus, what could you possibly mean that we are blessed to be persecuted? Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted here is, is, is a verb that, that uh, it could almost be translated, allow themselves to be persecuted. Who in their right mind would allow themselves to be persecuted? This makes no sense to the rational mind, and yet the kingdom of God is this kingdom that we've come to learn is upside down to what the world values. It's upside down in our thinking because it is otherworldly. It is not this worldly. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've felt persecuted? When's the last time that you felt you faced persecution, however you want to define that? And as that thought comes into your mind, maybe it was around an argument. Not a, uh, honey, did you take out the trash kind of argument, but maybe an argument about something you are very passionate about, something you profoundly believe is important. And so you engage someone in dialogue or debate or whatever the context was for this uh, disagreement or argument, and you presented yourself and the things that you're passionate about. And you said, this is what's right, and this is why it's right. And at the end of that conversation, do you think the person left thinking, wow, the Christ that you serve says some pretty radical things about the way I am to live here on earth? Or did that person walk away thinking, man, you are quite extreme, maybe a little crazy? Did the person walk away thinking, man, you might be a religious zealot or maybe even a bigot? And maybe you say, well, I don't really kind of engage in those conversations very often. Well, let's take it to something that's a little bit more daily routine for us, our social media. Many of us scroll, look through our posts. And so let me ask you, what's the last thing you posted about? What are the last things you've posted about? You see, what we are posting and screaming to the world is the things that we are passionate about, the things that matter to us. And so on social media, maybe you're very active posting things. Or maybe you've read someone's post and it made your blood boil a little bit. And you were this close to just replying. Or maybe you did reply to that post. And as you replied to that post, were you thinking, Lord, help me share the gospel? Lord, let me make Jesus Christ known in this interaction? Or were you thinking, this person is wrong and I need to correct them? This person does not know what they're thinking about. And so I need to tell them what is right. You see, when we confront persecution, Jesus here says that is a very specific type of persecution. And what we see in this first verse is that persecution will reveal what we truly believe. Persecution will reveal what we truly believe, or in other words, what you and I truly stand for. You see, we've taken in this American context many times our opinions and we've made them primary, and we say that these opinions matter, and because we're Christian, they matter, 
and we blast it to the world. But Jesus is saying, you, if you're persecuted for your opinions, that's not a blessed persecution. No, he says there's a very specific persecution. And the persecution that he blesses is for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. And so what does righteousness mean? It is that which God says is right. It is that which God has left in this word for us to know is true and right. The things he is for. He is for us sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, for telling the world that there is only one way for salvation, and that is through Jesus. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. It is for um, standing up for the orphan and the widow and the sojourner. It is standing up for life. It is standing up for purity. It is for standing up for things that Jesus says matter in our lives while we're here on this earth. And when we do, we will be persecuted. Why? Because the earth, the world, lives in darkness, and they love the darkness. And you and I are in the light, and the darkness cannot stand the light. And Jesus tells us if they persecuted him, then surely you and I will also be persecuted. And so how do you know if what you're being persecuted for actually matters? Let me ask you a question. Uh, Are you willing to die for it? Whatever the opinions are that you are debating about, that you're incredibly passionate about, please don't hear me say don't have opinions. Please don't hear me say this is not important in our context. There's some things that we definitely need to be engaging, but we need to engage them because of our heart's posture before God and because we know what is righteous, not because we have an opinion about something that is in this moment, in this time. And so are you willing to die for the thing you are fighting about? Does it matter that much to you? And people who value righteousness will say, yes, it is worth me dying for. It is worth me laying my life down for. Tertullian was uh, an early theologian in the church, and he had a believer come and talk to him, uh, a new believer come and talk to him, and I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, the believer basically said, hey, bro, um, I, uh, got a, I got this job that kind of conflicts with the things we're learning about here in the church. And, you know, I got to survive. I got to work. I got to pay my bills, and I got to eat. Um, like, what do you say I should do? I mean, I have to survive. And his response was, must you? Somewhere along the lines, as members of God's body and church and kingdom, we've taken it upon ourselves to think that it's okay to compromise on righteousness in order to survive. And Tertullian would have said, actually, righteousness is so much bigger that it'd be better for you to compromise on surviving than to ever compromise on righteousness. But we have taken the liberty to make Jesus optional, to make the right way of living optional. And Jesus here is saying, no, if you get persecuted for your opinions and the things that make you comfortable here on earth, that is not going to be blessed persecution. But when you live for God, when you stand up for King Jesus, when you realize your identity as a kingdom citizen, and you live out of that identity, you will live in such a way that is contrary to the world. And let me tell you firsthand, this is very difficult many times. This is very difficult many times for us to actually pursue in our daily lives because we don't want to be persecuted. 
because it's easier for us not to be persecuted. But if you and I are not persecuted, then what kind of faith are we living? What kind of faith are we truly living out if we are not facing persecution? See, when we live out of righteousness sake, when we do things rightly in a way that honors our king, we will find this persecution, but maybe we've compromised on things that we shouldn't compromise about. And so we are pleasant to everyone around us. We step on nobody's toes, um, except when it comes to red versus blue or masks or no masks or vaccines or no vaccines or things that are in this moment right now that we feel are incredibly important. And we don't realize that we've misplaced our passion on some momentary things. And Jesus is calling us to a greater thing, to something that Jason told us a couple of weeks ago is that we are not of this world. We are created for heaven. We are created for an eternity with God. And when we miss that, when we lose that, then it's easy to get lost in the here and the now and compromise on the things that Jesus would say we should never compromise on. And so the martyrs that have died before us have known this, have known that theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and it's worth dying for. It's worth being persecuted for. It's worth not turning away for. But you and I must be reminded that even in our context where we don't face life and death persecution, we are to be ready to, when the day comes, to face that persecution and face it as a gift from God. Now, maybe you've never had that moment, and I've shared this story with you before. Uh, my very first mission trip that I ever went on was overseas, and we were visiting some pastors who had just recently been persecuted and we're hiking up a mountain, and I'm walking with one of the pastors, and there's a group of locals coming back from work with their work tools, and there's a guy with a machete over his shoulder and passes us by and sees that I'm walking with one of these pastors and comes up to my left side, and I just remember him starting to say things in his native language, and in my mind, I'm like, what's going on? So I look over at the pastor we're with, and I asked I ask him, hey, what is he saying? And he looked at me, and he says, pray. And in that moment, my heart dropped to my stomach. And I grew up in church. I, I would have told you, I'm ready to die for Jesus right now. But in that moment, I probably recommitted my life to Christ and <laughs> was like, just in case. You know, my theology at the time was a little different. Just in case, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. And probably what I was praying for was for him to get me out of that. Not that this man would come to know Christ, but that he would get me out of that situation. And the saints that I got to meet with at that time were men and women who had been killed, whose families had been killed in front of them, who had been shunned from their societies, who had been tortured and left for death, and God restored their health. And these men and women would go back to the same people who persecuted them and would tell them, I forgive you. I want to share Christ with you. What would happen if you and I lived that way? in knowing that righteousness is worth us laying our lives down for so that the world around us that is persecuting us would get to know the Messiah. That's a kind of faith that's worth dying for. That's a kind of faith that you and I, is not just worth living for, but it's worth dying for. And so Jesus continues on here in verse 11. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. All of a sudden, Jesus expands on this final beatitude, and he doesn't 
theoretically say, blessed are now those who uh, are persecuted. He says, blessed are you, my disciples, when you are reviled, when you are persecuted, when all kinds of evil are uttered against you. But pay attention to how this happens, why this is. It's at the very end of the verse. He says, on my account. He doesn't say on anything else. He says, on my account. And Jesus has to tell us, his disciples, that the persecution we will find is for Christ's sakes, is for righteousness' sake, not for our opinions or the things we are passionate about. It is for Christ's sake. You see, the, the root of the kingdom citizen is his relationship to King Jesus, is him understanding that Jesus is better than anything we could ever have in this world. Jesus is the reward we all need and want and desire at the very bottom of our souls. And so he is saying, on my account, if we don't have a deep relationship with Jesus, then it will be easy to compromise. It will be easy to compromise. Someone comes up to you and says, man, your baby's ugly. You probably will not say, ah, bro, that's just an opinion. You know, like, come on, don't, don't bring that to me. You'd probably be ready to fight somebody. Or your kid's just not that good at uh, softball. Uh, wait, what? We've been training all these. Like, we, we are ready to fight for the relationships and the people that we value greatly. We're ready to stand up for them, right, because we love them so deeply we're ready to stand up and say, no, 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 you are not going to say that about my little one. Me, never mind. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, sometimes we're not as ready to stand up. When it comes to our relationship with our Savior and our King, we're not as ready to truly say, no, that, that's not what Jesus is about. That's not what Jesus has taught me. That's not what Jesus has done for me. And instead, we compromise, and we kind of brush it off, and, and we're just enough for people to know we come to church on Sunday, but not, we're not really stepping on anyone's toes, and it's not for the sake of stepping on anyone's toes. But when we have that deep relationship with Jesus, and we want the world to know about Jesus, King Jesus, that he is far greater than anything we could ever need or want on this earth, he says that we will be reviled, that we will be criticized in an abusive and angrily insulting manner. When's the last time you faced revile, that you were reviled because of your faith in Jesus, because of your relationship with Jesus? And he says we'd be persecuted. We know that that's physical harm up to death. And then he says they will also, guess what, utter evil against you. Why? Because the world thinks that what they are doing and what they are believing is true and right. And then they will justify that by opposing what you and I know to be true. What you and I have been taught is the truth. What you and I know that God says is righteous. And so this is the key, though. He says, utter evil against you. Keyword here is falsely, right? When I was a, a teenager in high school, um, I was at a very legalistic church, and um, 
I, re- I remember I was really only ever allowed to listen to Christian music, and so I, uh, that's what I would drive around listening to. And occasionally I listen to a non-Christian song, and then I repent and, like, beat myself up for a month because I heard a non-Christian song. And that's the life that I, you know, as I knew as a, as a teenager. But a couple of adults would tell me, you know, whenever you're driving down the street and you have your windows down and people drive up next to you and they're blasting their music, you blast that Christian music even louder, right? Like, that's you overcoming the world. So I would sometimes drive around with my music blasting, my Christian music blasting. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I was probably a very obnoxious teenager. You know, the people around me probably thought I was very obnoxious. And when they looked at me and probably shook their heads or said things about me, in my mind, that was persecution. But maybe I was just an obnoxious teenager that they didn't get along with. And maybe you and I think we're being persecuted and and we think it is truly us being persecuted, but maybe it's not a true persecution. Maybe it's falsely. Maybe it's because of the things that we hold on as opinions that are primary and drive us and not Jesus. So he would say, no, this has to be falsely. Turn with me to 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16. It's going to come up on the screen if you don't have your, your Bible. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. That's what the Word of God says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. See, uh, persecution is not optional. When you live for Christ, don't be surprised that you will be persecuted. Be surprised if you're not persecuted, because maybe you're not living for Christ quite the way you think you are. But he says, don't, don't be surprised. But If you are persecuted because you're an evildoer or a meddler or a thief or a robber, he says, don't don't suffer that way. That's not what you've been taught. But if we suffer for Christ's name because we have such a deep love for our Savior, he says, this is worth it. Why? Because we reveal the glory of God to a world that desperately needs to see it. We reveal the gospel, the good news of salvation for men and women who are walking a path of darkness. And to some, this will be a word of salvation. But to others, this will be the offense of the cross. It will be condemnation. It will be judgment. And they will not like you for it. And that's okay. So I have to ask you, have you really valued Jesus as greater than anything you could ever have or want? You see, life in the kingdom shows us that our king far greater than anything we could ever have or want here on earth. And then finally, here in verse 12, he says, to be glad and to rejoice. Be glad and rejoice. When we come to persecution for righteousness sake, when we come to persecution for Christ's sake, he tells us, to rejoice and be glad. The translation here is to leap for joy. That we'd be so happy that we are being persecuted. And he says, why? For 
Your reward is great in heaven. Final thing that persecution does for you and for me is it helps us have right perspective. Jesus is helping us understand what this right perspective is for the kingdom citizens. He says, your reward in heaven is great. This is the second time he mentions heaven. And it's important for us to remember we are not created for this world. So then why is it that we want comfort and approval? Why is it then that we want to enjoy the things that are here in this world? If you've ever been on vacation and stayed at a hotel, it could be the nicest hotel in the world. I don't know, think about the nicest place you've ever stayed at. You have clean sheets every morning, maybe even got some room service, and it was nice. They wash everything for you. You're waking up, going out to the beach, eating, coming back. But after about five, six days, there's a part of you that says, I'm ready to go home, right? As nice as this is, it's not home. It's like home, but it's not home. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. We're here, but we're not of this world. We have a greater place that he is preparing for us. And so it kind of feels like it sometimes when we get glimpses of this glory of this hope. But this is not our home. We have a great home that's waiting for us, and that's heaven. He's preparing for us a great place for us to live with him one day. And so he has to continually remind us and give us right perspective. We are not of this world. We are a creator for another. And so reward on this earth, though, does taste a little good, right? Whenever you work really hard and you get paid, you're like, oh, man, that was, that's nice. Whenever someone calls your kid ugly and then they walk away and get hurt, you're like, yeah, that's what you get, right? <laughs> Whenever we see things here on earth that we feel are like right, like we enjoy some of these things here on earth because we're still in this fleshly body. We're still in this sinful nature. And so Jesus says, look ahead. Your reward is great in heaven, not here on earth. You may experience glimpses of joy here on earth, but the greater joy is that reward in heaven. And the only way to get that reward is through persecution. You see, it's not that we seek persecution for persecution's sake or that we would get a reward, but that reward is worked out for us the more we are persecuted here on earth. And therefore, we, you and I, as kingdom citizens, can come to persecution and say, I've honored my king, I've loved my king in the moments of despair. Like we sang today, he is my corner stone. He is king above all kings, above all things. And I have found in those moments great gifts of grace that are preparing me for the greater grace that's to come, the greater joy that's to come, the greater moments that I am to be with him for eternity. And that allows me to suffer here and suffer well. And so we must continually die to ourselves and take inventory Right? What kind of faith are we living? What kind of hopes are we having? The older I get, the more I keep having this thought in my head, in a month, things will level out. It'll be okay. In, in, in six months, and I don't even have kids yet, so I can only imagine some of y'all's thoughts for firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, as you're navigating this, and we keep thinking, it, it'll eventually level out. It'll eventually be okay. And we'll have seasons and moments of that grace. But this here, Jesus is telling us, you will be persecuted. You will find tribulation. But take heed, I've overcome the world. And so it may be it will never 
be okay. Maybe you'll never have a season where it'll just level out. Are you still willing to serve your king? Is your king not enough for you as you suffer here? And maybe it's because we have not realized that our reward will be greater in heaven. Let me read this text over you, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The perspective is that this is slight momentary affliction. If I, today I told you, hey, uh, a year from now, I'm going to give you a million dollars. But I need you to work for me six days a week for the next 365 days. You'd probably look at me and say, bro, you have a million dollars? And I'd say, no, I don't. But hypothetically, I'm going to give you a million dollars for 365 days. I can guarantee, regardless of the hours that I'd give you to work, regardless of the things that I'd give you to do, you'd figure it out. And you'd be counting down the days. Ah, I got 364 days left to July 25th, 2022. And you'd be counting down the days till you get this great reward of a million dollars. Jesus is a far greater reward. And you and I as saints are living on this earth, not counting our days up, hoping to live longer, but, man, counting down our days till we get to see our King Jesus face to face. It is this mentality, it is this mindset that has allowed the martyrs of past to gladly receive death because they knew that in that moment they would see the King that all along they had been serving. And so Jesus is helping realign our hearts to remember this is momentary and this is temporal and we have an entire eternity ahead of us. This is but a speck in the eternity that God has prepared for us. So he has to remind us that we are made for eternity, that we are made for something more than is here on earth. And he says, as a final way for us to see this, remember the prophets. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you get persecuted for your faith in Christ, not for your opinions, not for things that change over time, what you thought when you were 20 versus 30 versus 40, our opinions change and shift over time. But Christ is consistent. Christ does not change. And when we stand up for those things, he says, guess what, brother and sister, you are in good company. You're suffering with men and women who has stood up for their faith and said, I will not compromise on Jesus. I'll compromise on, compromise on anything else, but not Jesus. And I will gladly lay down my life. He says, you're in good company. Elijah was hunted by Ahab and Jezebel. Jeremiah was in prison and tradition says was stoned to death. Isaiah was sawed in half. John the Baptist was beheaded. Simon Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew, Andrew was tied to a cross. And they did that so that he would suffer longer, and he was alive for two days on that cross. And guess what he did while he was on that cross? He preached. He preached for two days tied to a cross. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death. And the list goes on. I have, as I was reading through it this week, I'm sure you've heard many stories of the martyrs that have stood up for their faith in Christ. And one that stood out to me was John Rogers. As he was being led to the stake to be burned alive, his kids were walking to the execution point with him, and they were yelling encouragement to him to stay strong and not turn back and to not dishonor Christ. Imagine the kind of faith he taught his kids. For his kids to look at him and not say, just denounce it, live longer with us, but instead that they would say, stay strong, don't turn back, 
don't dishonor Christ. Can you imagine if you and I have that kind of faith and teach that kind of faith to our kids, what we could do for the kingdom of God here on earth? And so today I just want to end with two minutes of prayer. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And there's just two things I want us to pray about as we think about these things, about persecution. And maybe you are going to find yourself thinking, man, maybe some of the things I've been really passionate about aren't quite as important as I thought they were. Maybe you'll think, I haven't been sharing my faith enough. Everybody loves me. I get along with everybody. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes so I don't have any hard conversations. Maybe you're thinking, people are persecuting me for my opinions, not for the Jesus they see in me. Maybe you think, what have I been doing all this time? Why do I not see persecution? And not that you would want, but that it would reveal your deep relationship with Christ. And so the first thing I want us to pray for is for us to go before God. And just for 30 seconds, go before God. If you can't find something in your mind, ask him to reveal to you maybe where you've compromised your faith, where you've consciously or unconsciously compromised your faith. And take 30 seconds and ask him, Lord, reveal that to me. Or maybe you have a very specific conversation in your head that you need to have with someone who's maybe a brother or sister or a non-believer you've just been tiptoeing around it because you just don't want to scare anybody. You want to come across a certain way. Take the next 30 seconds and say, Lord, give me faith to live by righteousness. Give me faith to walk out my faith and share the gospel. So let's take 30 seconds and just pray over that. next thing I want us to pray for is something that Jesus points out here. It's all the martyrs, all the saints that are actually presently being persecuted, that don't have the freedoms that you and I have. It is a sobering reality to think about them, to pray for them, and to be reminded that we don't have a lot to lose at times like they do. And so let's pray for the persecuted church across the world in Asia, Europe and the Middle East, if there's a specific country that comes to mind, just take 30 seconds. And if you know a pastor or you know a church that's on that side of the world, just take 30 seconds and pray that God would sustain them and strengthen them amidst the persecution. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, confess that there's a level of persecution that maybe we just don't understand in our context. And so we pray just for uh, miraculous and just um, great comfort from your spirit for our brothers and sisters that are having to do church underground. 
that are being killed for their faith, that are being imprisoned for their faith, that are having their families killed for their faith, and are going through great persecutions and afflictions because they stand for you, and their faith for you is far greater than anything else in this world. Lord, I just pray that in this moment and in this time that you would comfort them and that you would strengthen them, that your word would continue to reach people who otherwise would never come to know you, that your great glory would be revealed through their steadfastness and through their desire to stand up for you. And I pray that this would awaken us and stir us up to live righteously, to live for Christ's sake. Not that we would look that way and say, well, we don't really face that kind of persecution, but that that kind of persecution would embolden us even more to share the good news of Jesus. Father God, reveal to us where maybe we've been more passionate about other things and have so compromised on the spiritual things. Reveal to us the parts of our heart that we need to repent of because we've made them greater than you. And teach us to love you well, to serve you well, to honor you well in all the things that we do. And when persecution comes, let us rejoice and be glad because we are honoring our great King, because our reward is great in heaven. And so we praise you because your glory is being made known to this world. So today, Lord, as we end the Beatitudes, let us be kingdom citizens that truly are poor in spirit, that mourn over our sin, that are meek and submit ourselves to your leadership and to your guidance, that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we are merciful, that we are peacemakers, that we are pure in heart, so that when persecution does come, we'd gladly receive it, and we'd smile, and we'd rejoice, and we thank you, and we would say, Lord, let your kingdom come, and your will be done. It's your name that we pray.